Critique on Strauss's Life of Jesus by H. B. Hackett. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Article 3. Critique on Strauss's Life of Jesus by Reverend H. B. Hackett, Professor of Biblical Literature in Newton Theological Institution. Wissenschaftliche Kritik der evangelischen Geschichte, ein Kompendium der gesamten Evangelienkritik mit Berücksichtigung der neuesten Erscheinungen, bearbeitet von Dr. A. Ebrard, 1842, 1.112. No portion of the Bible, not excepting now even the Pentateuch, which had been so long the battlefield of the German critics, excites so much interest at the present moment in Germany as the four Gospels. This is owing to the new direction which the course of biblical criticism has taken in that country, since the appearance of Strauss's work on the life of Jesus in 1835. This work, it is well known, has produced a sensation in the German theological world, unequalled by anything which has occurred since the publication of the Wolfenbüttel Fragments by Lessing in 1778. It has passed rapidly through repeated editions, has been printed, how many times we are unable to say, in an abridged and less critical form for uneducated readers, has been translated into other languages, and has given rise to a controversy which, after the lapse now of these ten years nearly, is still kept up with undiminished vigour. Of the degree of positive influence which this work of Strauss has exerted, of the actual impression which it has made on the public mind, it is not easy to form a definite opinion we should certainly err however were we to regard the attention merely which it has awakened as any very exact criterion of the favour with which its doctrines have been received or as indicating to any very great extent an increase of the infidelity of germany over and above that which previously existed in the first place it should be remembered that at the time when strauss came forward with his new theory for the explanation of the gospel history the old type of rationalism that which flourished particularly from the beginning of the present century until eighteen seventeen which is represented in exegesis by paulus and in dogmatics by wegscheider had lost very much of its scientific interest with the public and had thus left the ground open for some new development of the rationalistic principle under these circumstances strauss appeared and of those who embraced his sentiments the great majority consisted not of those who now went over from the christian camp to unbelief for the first time but of such as had already taken this step and on this occasion merely exchanged one form of religious scepticism for another in the second place strauss's notoriety has proceeded after all much more from the opposition which his views have encountered than from any demonstration of numbers or strength which his supporters have made in his behalf those who have taken part against him exceed by scores those who have attempted to do battle for him zeal for the truth of god is not yet wholly extinct in the land of the reformers and this zeal wherever it exists cannot but display itself whenever any danger be it real or apparent seems to threaten the interests of christianity we bar the doors carefully not merely when we expect a formidable attack but when we have treasure in the house it is truly gratifying to see the proof which this controversy has elicited that germany has still so many who continue faithful to the truth and who can bring to the defence of it an ability and learning equal to the crisis again the civil proceedings in which strauss has been involved have given him a publicity which his writings alone would not have procured him 
at the time of the publication of his life of jesus he was occupying the place of repetent in the theological seminary at tubingen and at the same time delivering lectures on philosophy at the university he was immediately called on by the superintendents of public instruction to show if he could how the views advanced in this book were to be reconciled with his position as a professed christian teacher failing to make this out to the satisfaction of his judges he was removed from his office and thus became at once in the estimation of many a martyr to the rights of free inquiry he was elected after this in eighteen thirty nine with much opposition and after loud protestation from various quarters to the professorship of dogmatics and church history in the university of zurich in switzerland but the people of the canton indignant at the outrage thus offered to their religious feelings soon rose en masse and compelled him to resign his office and withdraw from the country the excitement and controversy attending these transactions drew on him necessarily universal attention and rendered him famous throughout europe finally there are already no slight indications that the influence of strauss is waning and that the impression which he seemed to produce at first has given way to a more sober estimate of his work considered as an intellectual production as well as to a conviction of the utter falsity of the critical principles so called on which it is written in such a country as germany where the learned class is so numerous there are always many who take no very active interest in the theological results which such controversies are designed to establish who yet make it a matter of honour to see to it that literary justice is dealt out to the parties they constitute a sort of court of science into which these questions are brought and where all polemic feelings being put aside as much as possible they are decided with reference solely to the skill ability and general fairness of argument with which the combatants have maintained their cause the judgment thus given has always great influence in determining the authority and ultimate fate of the views which are the subject of dispute we feel ourselves borne out now by our means of information in saying that the scientific public in germany have decided on the contest between strauss and his opposers and have given no doubtful verdict in favour of the latter this may be inferred among other proofs with sufficient certainty from the present tone of the leading critical journals from the well-known character for talents and scholarship of many of those who have signalised themselves on this occasion in defence of christian truth and particularly from the style of discussion as regards strauss individually which the later publications relative to him have assumed a politic controversialist does not venture whatever may be his own private sentiments to treat an opponent before the public in a manner very much at variance with the general estimation in which he is held the bearing which he exhibits towards him will be conformed very much to what is supposed to be the public consequence of the personage with whom he has to do dr david friedrich strauss on this principle has ceased certainly to be a very formidable character his name whatever terror it may have awakened once is now pronounced without fear as the smoke of the battle has cleared up his dimensions have revealed themselves more clearly to the view of his countrymen they have verified his humanity and now treat him just like any other mortal who though he may have shown some acuteness and said some just things in a very good style in opposition to unwise apologists for the truth is yet suspected of having gone sadly astray from religion and common sense that is they give him full credit for his shrewdness they admit him to be in the right when he is not wrong they refute him with argument as well as they can whenever he makes himself pretension to argument and as for the rest who can blame them or find fault with their logic if they are unable to deal with impiety absurdity and nonsense otherwise than as such
it is in this general style now intimated that dr ebrard has taken up the questions at issue between strauss and his opposers in the work named at the head of this article and in so doing has reflected in common with other similar writings which have lately appeared the present feeling of an extensive portion at least of germany in respect to this controversy it does not comport with our object to characterize this able production at much length it occupies an intermediate position between a regular commentary on the gospels on the one hand and a connected biography of the saviour on the other it has this in common with the former that it discusses the same general topics such as the plan of the different evangelists their genuineness the consistency of their several accounts with each other which claim the attention of an interpreter but it differs from a commentary inasmuch as it does not profess to give a detailed exposition of the gospels or of any extended portions of them in continuous order it resembles again a biographical sketch of the saviour in its attempt to arrange the materials of the evangelical history in their supposed chronological connection but makes no endeavour like the lives of christ which we have for instance from hess and neander to throw over this naked outline the fullness of representation and freshness of colouring which an exposition of the hints and simple statements of the evangelists render so easy to a master of the art of historical composition the work has professedly a polemic aim against strauss and more particularly against that part of his book which professes to compare the different accounts of the evangelists with one another and out of the alleged inconsistencies and contradictions to be found in them to construct an argument in support of his hypothesis of their mythic origin as a work of critical science as a general help to the thorough study of the gospels it is certainly one of the most useful books of the kind which we have ever seen but it is especially valuable as presenting to us a critique on strauss's life of jesus as a literary and scientific work and thus enabling us to judge of it precisely in those respects in which it has arrogated to itself the greatest merit we propose therefore in the sequel of the present article to avail ourselves of some of the materials here offered for forming such a judgment and at the same time to present so far as it may be necessary for the accomplishment of this particular object a brief account of the leading notions of strauss's monstrous hypothesis this writer who has attained so much distinction was born at ludwigsburg in Württemberg in eighteen o eight he pursued his early studies chiefly at tubingen officiated for a short time as vicar to a country curate and then went in eighteen thirty one to berlin where he heard lectures from schleiermacher hegel had died a short time before this but had left his philosophy in the zenith of its glory to which strauss now attached himself and on which after his return to tubingen he lectured with great applause at the university at the age of twenty-seven he published his life of jesus and thus brought his name for the first time prominently before the public in this work he has applied the principles of hegelianism to the interpretation of scripture and claims it as his great merit that he was the first to extend the domain of his philosophy to matters of religion as this system is variously expounded by its teachers it is not surprising that some of them as marhen ecker rosenkrantz and others who claim to be its true representatives and to maintain its consistency with revelation should refuse to acknowledge strauss as a disciple of this school as an adherent now of the hegelian philosophy according to his exposition of it it is impossible for him to admit the idea of christianity as a historical religion and he must discover consequently some mode of explaining its records their origin and the contents of them which is consistent with his philosophy here lies the proton pseudos of his scheme 
the question of the genuineness of the Gospels is prejudged before he comes to their examination. It is impossible that any amount of evidence for them should establish their truth against the a priori decisions of his philosophy. This philosophy, as expressed in a word, is undisguised pantheism. Here is the norm to which all must be brought, the lapis ludius, which is to try everything. On this principle it becomes, with Strauss, a philosophical absurdity to suppose that the Gospels are genuine productions and contain a record of actual occurrences and veritable doctrines, as these terms are generally understood for from such an admission what would follow ay there would be then a personal god he would be omnipotent and could work a miracle the soul is immortal and will live on in the world to come every individual is accountable for himself and must look to the consequences of his destiny doctrines of course which pantheism denies and which it must view as the brand marks of spuriousness in any book which professes to teach them Straussism now proposes to itself the somewhat difficult task of adhering to its philosophy and yet maintaining a show of respect for the scriptures. It would not venture on the avowal of an open hostility to the word of God. From this step, indeed, the rationalism of Germany, under all the forms of its manifestation, has studiously held itself back. It has always aimed at the same object, and that has been to blot out from the Bible all evidences of a supernatural revelation, and to reduce its teachings to a level with those of nature, but it has laboured to accomplish this result without acknowledging any inconsistencies between it and a certain reception of the Bible as a source of religious instruction. The methods which it has employed for this purpose have been various, and have been changed from time to time as their insufficiency and absurdity have become apparent. The one which has been on the whole most prevalent, and which has held possession of the field longest, is that of a forced interpretation. On meeting with a miracle or the appearance of a miracle in the Bible, it was explained away as a natural occurrence, either because the sacred writers themselves, it was alleged, really intended to relate it as such, and no other view is authorized by a just construction of their language. Thus, in the account of the man healed at the pool of Bethesda, John never thought of relating anything more, it was said, than a case of ordinary cure by bathing, or when the desired result could not be reached in this way, because we are to consider the writers as merely stating their own opinions in regards to the matter, while it belongs to us as interpreters to distinguish between their opinion of an event and the event itself. What these arts were found inadequate to accomplish, it was left to the principle of accommodation, so called to consummate. The Jews, so the rationalists argued, were looking merely for a temporal king in the Messiah, and Jesus, who was a good man, and sincerely desired the moral reformation of his countrymen, took advantage of this idea, most palpably false, by the way, for what more perfect contrast can be imagined than that which exists between the Saviour as he was and professed to be, and that which the worldly Jews expected of the Messiah? gave himself out as the son of god as the head of a new universal kingdom as the judge of the world and so on simply in order to procure a more ready reception of his instructions and to accomplish with better effect the benevolent object of his mission in this way the bible seemed to retain in some sort its authority and truth and yet was robbed of everything which could be construed into evidence of its divinity or of the supernatural character of the dispensations whose history it contains but this mode of interpretation lost at length its novelty. It violated too many principles of language and common sense to maintain its ground against the stricter views of philology which had begun to prevail, and the spirit of rationalistic criticism transformed itself next from the contents of the sacred writings to the sacred writings themselves. 
the critics of this school suddenly became endued with a wonderful sagacity for deciding on the genuineness of ancient compositions for distinguishing by means of certain internal indications of style idiom and thought together with a certain inward undefinable sense of their own between such parts of these compositions as were true and such as were false they could place their hands with infallible certainty upon the entire book in the sacred volume upon the chapter here and there upon the verse which was to be rejected as an interpolation and as unworthy of its reputed divine origin before such a process those parts of the bible which contained anything offensive to the rationalistic sense which affirmed for instance the reality of miracles prophetic inspiration and the like rapidly disappeared and yet the effort which was thus in fact overturning the foundations of christianity and all revealed religion claimed to be nothing more than an assertion of the rights of a just and scientific criticism but the arbitrary nature of such judgments could not fail to be perceived they were capable of being exposed and were exposed so that rationalism began again to be pressed with the difficulties of its position both as attempting to maintain a mode of attack on the scriptures which it could not justify at the bar of science and as seeking to conceal its design by an artifice too shallow to answer any purpose of deception all these expedients having been exhausted one might have supposed that rationalism would be compelled now either to desist from the warfare or carry it on henceforth without reserve or subterfuge with an open assumption of the ground which it really occupied but which it was so unwilling to avow to this issue it seemed for a time as if it must come but at this juncture strauss presents himself with his mythic scheme and opens the way for at least one other experiment of the kind which had been so often attempted the term myth which has been so much used in modern criticism is variously explained the definition of it which strauss adopts as regards the gospels is that of a religious idea clothed in a historical form this historical form may be in itself considered a pure fiction having no foundation whatever in any actual occurrences but arising solely from the tendency of the human mind to give to spiritual truths an outward representation or it may be founded upon certain historical circumstances as a point of departure which have been gradually enlarged and modified in conformity with the ideas which have sought to express themselves by means of them the former is the idea of the myth in its purity and universality and it is this sense of it which weisler has adopted as the foundation of his attempt to get rid of the facts of the evangelical history strauss on the contrary employs it in the other sense he admits that there was such a person as christ a jewish rabbi that is his language who lived and taught in palestine at the period which is usually assigned to him that he collected a circle of disciples whom he impressed with so high an idea of his wisdom and goodness that they considered him as the messiah and thus at length awakened in his own mind an ambition hitherto foreign to him of being received in that character this is the sum of all the historical truth which he allows to be contained in the gospels the rest is the result of a disposition on the part of the followers of christ which began to manifest itself soon after his death to glorify their deceased master in every possible way and especially by ascribing to him those traits of life and character which the jews supposed from the old testament would be exhibited by the messiah the gospels in a word are with the exception of the slight historical basis just mentioned the product of a mere mental effort to realize and embody the rational messianic idea which prevailed among the jews so universally at the time of the birth of christ the old testament as already intimated is regarded as the soil out of which these ideas which have been rendered thus objective in christ are said to have sprung 
thus the temptation of the saviour which the evangelists relate is resolved into a fiction having its origin in the belief that good men as illustrated in the history of job are objects of the special hatred and persecution of satan and hence this must have been true also of the messiah the account of the miraculous multiplication of the loaves and fish is merely an imitation of the mosaic account of the manna in exodus six sixteen and the transfiguration on tabor as its type in what is related as having befallen moses on mount sinai the visit of the magi from the east is said to have been suggested by the prophecy of balaam in numbers twenty four seventeen that a star should arise out of jacob and by the representation in isaiah sixty and psalm seventy two that distant nations and kings should bring presents of gold spices and other costly treasure as a tribute to the messiah the flight of the holy family into egypt was intended to correspond to the flight of moses into midian the murder of the children of bethlehem to that of the children of the israelites by pharaoh the appearance of jesus at the age of twelve years in the temple to the somewhat similar narratives respecting samuel solomon daniel one kings three twenty three and following one samuel three daniel four five and following etc etc these are examples of the manner in which the histories of the gospels are said to have been formed or more properly speaking to have formed themselves they are the work not of any single individual or of any fraudulent design but of a gradual and spontaneous aggregation about the person of jesus of the various types and analogies which the jews supposed would be realized in the messiah the commonly received opinion respecting the time of the composition and the authorship of the gospels would be fatal of course to this theory and this opinion accordingly is without ceremony set aside and the ground assumed that the gospels were written about the middle of the second century after christ not by persons who stood in a sufficiently near relation to him to be able to report what they wrote on the authority of their own knowledge and observation but by individuals whose names are unknown who put down in good faith as their own belief and that of their contemporaries these mythic fictions then current which had gradually sprung up and wrought themselves into a historical form in the manner which has been described the gospel of luke however and the acts are referred by strauss to a somewhat earlier origin and the epistles of paul also with the exception of particular passages are allowed to be genuine his main argument for justifying his assertion that the gospels originated at so late a period is derived from what he represents as their internal condition of this he gives his own account and were there nothing to object to it as regards either the soundness of the critical principles on which he has proceeded in this examination or the accuracy and truth of his statements it might seem indeed that we have here no slight obstacle to the literal reception of the memoirs of the evangelists he undertakes to make out that they offend perpetually against the chronology history social customs and institutions of the period to which they profess to relate and furthermore that they are full of discrepancies and contradictions as compared with each other which no art of interpreters and harmonists can possibly reconcile on this basis he builds his conclusion the gospels could not have proceeded from writers who had any personal connection with the transactions and scenes which they relate but they must have been composed at a period when time had already obscured the original accounts and left room for those intermixtures of the marvellous and incoherent which they everywhere exhibit and which mark the mythic creations of every age and people it is generally acknowledged that strauss has stated the apparent discrepancies between the gospels with unusual force and effect and it is on the ability displayed here that his pretensions as a writer and critic mainly rest 
it will be perceived at once from the preceding sketch that the work of replying to strauss must consist principally in a vindication of the gospels against the charges which he has preferred against them the other parts of his hypothesis fall at once when deprived of this support if the claims of the gospels be established and they are shown to be from the hands of the personal followers of christ or of their associates there remains then no interval for the mythic process of which strauss speaks and the very idea of it sufficiently absurd even were we to concede to him the entire interval for which he contends is seen to be at once the merest dream that ever entered the head of a philosopher it is with this vindication as involving obviously the gist of the whole subject that dr ebrard has occupied himself mainly in the present work those more general objections consequently which lie against the views of strauss he has had less occasion to urge fully than some other writers who have pursued a different plan these will be found given at greater length particularly by tollock in the introductory part of his credibility of the evangelical history by ullmann in his work entitled historical or mythic and by julius muller in his articles in a well-known theological journal studies and criticisms published at heidelberg as illustrating the manner in which this part of the discussion has been conducted it will not be out of place to mention here some of the leading positions which have been taken against strauss under this more general view of the subject we have space only to enumerate them without much expansion first it is affirmed that on strauss's principles all history loses its certainty and becomes a mere phantom an illusion no biography was ever written of any individual no history of any kingdom or nation which may not be resolved into a set of myths as easily as the account of the saviour contained in the gospels all confidence in the past is destroyed all distinction between the ideal and actual is annihilated and men can be certain of nothing which has taken place at any period remote at all from their own time whatever may be the tendency by which it is supported second the theory of strauss leaves the origin of the christian church the rise and spread of christianity in the world an unsolved enigma an event without any adequate cause or conceivable explanation it involves the absurdity of a creation out of nothing it can be shown that christians existed already in great numbers in every part of the roman empire at the close of the first century that they were bound together by the most intimate communion of sentiment and opinion that they held their principles with such firmness that no violence of persecution no blandishments of wealth and power no terrors of martyrdom could move them from their faith and yet strauss tells us that the idea of this messiah whose name they bore and for whom they sacrificed and suffered so much did not fully develop itself till half a century later than this third the character which the gospels attribute to the saviour is entirely unlike that which the jews as a people expected that the messiah would assume it is not easy in fact to see how the image of him which they had pictured out to themselves under the influence of their national pride and egotism could have been more decidedly contradicted than in the person and history of jesus as presented to us by the evangelists the idea of such a character as that of jesus as portrayed in the gospels was entirely beyond and above the conceptions of the jews and so far from being produced by a desire to realize their messianic hopes arrayed against itself their strongest prejudices and passions and from that hour to this has been an object of their most determined rejection and hatred fourth the supposition of strauss assumes a definiteness and unity in the expectations of the jews respecting the messiah which did not exist 
the bulk of the people as we find it stated also in the gospels of matthew and luke believed that he would be a descendant of david and a native of bethlehem but according to the conceptions of the rabbins as founded on daniel seven twenty one he was to be a celestial spirit who would descend at once from heaven to earth in order to establish his kingdom traces of which opinion present themselves in the gospel of john and in paul some supposed that his dominion would be temporary others eternal some that he would convert and bless the heathen others that he would destroy them some that he would restore to life the dead of all mankind others that he would raise the jews only and so on many other points their views were in like manner entirely vague and unsettled fifth the anticipations of the jews respecting the messiah whatever they may have been could have had no influence on the heathen and yet the great majority of those who had embraced christianity before the middle of the second century consisted of converts from heathenism the forming principle consequently to which strauss attributes so much efficacy in the production of the gospels was here entirely wanting to suppose that these histories could have been constructed out of an idea which really occupied the minds of men would seem to be sufficiently absurd but what are we to think of it when by far the greater part of those who are said to have been unconscious instruments of working out this mythical development had not even this idea itself sixth he attributes to the early christians a procedure just the opposite of that which they actually adopted he assumes that they had already in their minds a distinct image of the messiah as derived from the symbols and prophecies of the old testament and that they then framed a history for it in accordance with these predictions whereas it is notorious both from intimations of the new testament itself and from other sources that they were inclined to just the opposite course that is having the facts first given the history itself presented to them to interpret the prophecies on the principle that their meaning is likely to be best explained by their fulfilment they no doubt carried this principle so far as to put often a forced interpretation on scripture in order to increase the testimony of prophecy to the truth of christianity but that only shows how impossible it would have been under such circumstances that the gospels should have been produced in the manner that strauss represents seventh all history proves that nothing which can be pretended to be in the remotest degree analogous to what is supposed here has ever taken place except in the most barbarous times and after the lapse of an almost interminable series of years and yet strauss would persuade us that christianity from being a mere fiction established itself in the minds of men as a historical verity in the incredibly short period of little more than a century after the death of its founder and that too in the most enlightened age of greek and roman civilization finally his system is affirmed to be full of self-contradictions and to contain in itself the elements of its own refutation he denies for instance the genuineness of the evangelists in general but receives them as trustworthy witnesses when they assert anything which he can employ as an argument for impeaching their own credit he professes to regard the contents of our gospels as the result of a process of symbolization so simple and natural that it was carried on by a thousand minds at once without consciousness or design and yet when he comes to the actual details he is obliged to assume a degree of reflection and study in adjusting the character of christ to its supposed mental type utterly irreconcilable with the idea of any such spontaneous operation he allows that luke probably wrote his gospel in the first age of christianity and as every one knows this evangelist opens his history with the announcement luke one one to three that many had already preceded him in writing on the same subject even his history therefore was not the first which had been composed written accounts of the life of christ were already in existence and well known they must have made their appearance consequently almost immediately after the crucifixion of jesus 
there could have been no interval of any duration between that event and their composition this is justly regarded as decisive of the whole question it is thus proved that written documents relating to the founder of christianity have existed from the very first and that there has never been any such traditionary period in the church as strauss pretends and as is necessary to the support of his hypothesis during which men were dependent for their knowledge concerning christ upon uncertain oral accounts which were transmitted from one to another this history had already been written out by various hands and scattered far and wide before the mythic period to which strauss would refer the formation of our gospels had arrived had any such tendency to exaggeration as he supposes discovered itself then those histories would have served as an effectual check upon it and preserved the great body of christians at least from lending an ear to fictions which they saw to be unsustained by their own written testimonies it may appear singular that the work of strauss should have excited so much surprise when the idea on which it is founded instead of being advanced now for the first time had long been familiar to the minds of a certain class of german critics zemmler was the first perhaps who distinctly proposed it and we find it actually applied by him to the histories of samson and esther after this it was adopted without reserve by such writers as eichhorn kaiser gabler Ammon, berthold siefert and others in particular passages both of the old and new testaments that is to say whenever they met with narratives and representations which in their more obvious historical sense implied a supernatural interposition and from which they could not easily remove the appearance of this either by impeaching the integrity of the text or by explaining away its meaning by a forced interpretation in this manner and by such critics the mythical principle had been gradually extended to numerous portions of the old testament and to various facts in the history of the saviour as his supernatural birth his resurrection ascension and still other events of the like miraculous character strauss's book contains in fact very little in its actual details which has not been anticipated by preceding writers his peculiarity consists merely in this that he has given to this mode of interpretation a degree of unity and completeness which it had not yet received he was the first to open his mind to the conception that the means which had been employed to do away with certain parts of revelation might be employed with equal effect to do away with the whole of it others who had gone before him in the same career stopped short of the issue to which their principles were leading them he took up the work where they left it and urged it through with unflinching constancy it will sound strangely to our readers to be told after this that strauss still pretends to hold fast to the truth of christianity and would deem it a serious breach of charity for any one to question the sincerity of his faith in its records the explanation of this mystery may be given in few words according to his philosophy the truth of the facts of christianity is not necessary to the truth of christianity itself christianity is an idea entirely independent of the history so called in which it has accidentally clothed itself and if a person holds merely to this idea whatever it may be he holds to all which is true and all which was ever intended to be taught as true in the christian writings and is entitled to the name of a believer thus one of the great truths asserted in christianity as he affirms is the reality of the divine and human in man that is in every man for pantheism makes us all of course entire and several parts of the deity and this truth after having so long struggled to bring itself to the distinct consciousness of mankind has at length attained its fullest development and recognition in the person of jesus christ that is the human mind has employed him it being a matter of indifference to the truth itself whether there ever was such a person or not 
as the representative of this idea and if any one receives this idea he receives all which the gospel teaches respecting the divinity of christ and the miraculous works attesting this character which he is said to have performed so also of various other truths which find their symbolization in the history which the evangelists have related indeed since these truths have been embodied so to speak in a more impressive manner and with greater purity in the gospels than in any other similar mode of representation christianity is to be considered as the most perfect religious dispensation which has yet appeared and as marking the highest progress which the human race have hitherto made in the apprehension of moral and spiritual truth this mode of viewing the scriptures creates obviously a necessity for some method of interpretation conformed to it here strauss's system has to encumber itself with a new mass of absurdities all the ordinary established laws of language are disregarded and a set of hermeneutical rules introduced as loose and visionary as any which were ever applied to the bible by a hermus origin or swedenborg the literal or historical sense must be discarded there is always a deeper meaning for the initiated than that which lies upon the surface while the ordinary reader attaches himself to the outward form the philosopher penetrates to the spirit that which is related as fact being understood as symbol this symbol will be explained of course as denoting any idea which the fancy of the interpreter may choose to connect with it in this way hegelianism with a mock reverence for the word of god may adduce its scripture warrant for all its dogmas and blasphemies the bible is converted into a perfect quod libet ex quod libet and there is not a philosopher who has lived from confucius to schelling who might not with equal propriety plead its authority for his wisdom or his ravings we have not space to pursue further these topics it only remains for us now to endeavour to assist the reader in forming some general conception of the manner in which strauss has developed his internal argument as it is termed against the genuineness of the gospels the nature and object of this have been already stated it professes to be founded on a comparison of the gospels with each other and with other writings jewish as well as greek and roman which illustrate the same period of history out of this comparison he undertakes to show that the evangelists abound in the most palpable inconsistencies and self-contradictions and that they are utterly at variance also with other unimpeachable historical authorities in this way he would impose on the gospels a character corresponding to that of the origin which he imputes to them he would make them out to be the productions of men who lived at a remote period from that of the scenes and events which they describe and which exhibit proof in this contradictory form of their narratives of the vague uncertain manner in which they were handed down for so long a time from one generation to another that the ground over which this part of the work conducts us is free from difficulty no one who has studied the gospels critically will pretend to deny strauss is not the first who has made this discovery the apparent discrepancies between the gospels were noticed by the earliest christian writers and received from them the attention which as christian apologists they were bound to give them augustine has left us a treatise the consenso evangelistarum on this very subject similar works were composed by eusebius and ambrose the same ground has been traversed by a thousand writers since their time and as often as a new commentary has been written on the gospels with any pretensions to critical merit it has repeated and explained these difficulties it has been said with probable truth that in strauss's whole work there are not perhaps twenty of these discrepancies between the evangelists as they are called which have not been pointed out by previous writers and for which a solution has not been proposed it has been shown that a portion of them as urged by objectors consist entirely of misstatements which need only to be placed in a correct light 
in order to have their groundlessness perceived that some of them rest upon the ignorance of critics themselves in regard to language or a deficiency of information in some other branch of antiquity that some of them which for a time appeared to be incapable of explanation have been since cleared up by more extended research and the advancement of science that many of them result merely from the fragmentary form in which the evangelists have related their history and that in those cases in which they seem to differ from each other it may reasonably be resolved into the imperfections of our own knowledge and that in those cases again in which they disagree with other writers they are entitled considered merely as historians and all questions of their inspiration apart to as much credit as josephus or philo or tacitus or any one else whose authority has been so confidently arrayed against them but all this avails nothing for Strauss. things remain for him as they have been from the beginning criticism has made no progress since the days of porphyry chubb morgan Aimarus and such like are the only men of true discernment while the rest of the world have been deceived by superficial appearances and need still to have their errors and credulity corrected and exposed this task has been so often undertaken yet without success that one would think that some special fitness for it would be necessary in order to warrant now a renewal of the attempt without any prospect of a better result mere elegance of style dexterity in stating the points of an objection with force hardihood of assertion unbounded egotism contempt for the opinions and cold-blooded indifference to the dearest hopes of mankind would not seem to be sufficient qualifications for undertaking this labour anew surely some new discoveries have been made which are to take the world by surprise recesses of science have been explored hitherto unsealed to mortal eyes our champion must have brought to his work stores of erudition before which the learning of all christian scholars sinks away into insignificance and contempt we are now assuredly about to hear the testimony of witnesses against the gospels who have never yet spoken and whom it has been reserved to the indefatigable dr strauss in the illimitable excursions of his far-reaching scholarship to discover for the first time and to bring forward on the occasion of the rehearing of this so often adjudicated question how far these expectations are realized by the actual result might be shown by following dr ebrard in his detailed exposure of some of the objections which strauss has urged against the history of the saviour but we have the means of satisfying the curiosity of our readers on this point in another way in the first part of his treatise dr ebrard makes a thorough business of examining and refuting the objections of strauss in connection with the particular passages in the gospels on which they are founded he then at the commencement of his second part presents a summary view of the critical principles which are assumed as the foundation of these objections and with the soundness or unsoundness of which they must stand or fall at the same time he gives us a clue to the literary pretensions of our critic and reveals some secrets of bookmaking which are adapted to put us on our guard against first appearances from this statement as drawn out by our author any one can judge both how really formidable is this famous attack which strauss has made on christianity and how far authorized he is by any superiority of knowledge and learning to look down with scorn upon the host of christian scholars whom he has treated with so much contempt dr ebrard presents this critique such it virtually is on strauss's life of jesus under the head of a receipt for enabling any one who chooses to write a similar book and thus to emulate this great author in the renown which he has won we shall conclude the present article therefore by copying out for our readers this receipt with some considerable fullness here it is end of an old account of the strauss controversy by h b hackett